morning, everybody. Yeah, I think I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning, if you'll bear with me. I think I'm going to go some on notes and some off notes um, for a couple of reasons. One is that I have a terrible migraine on Friday when I usually write my sermons. And another reason is because the story that I'm talking about this morning has actually been really messy with me. And it's been messing with me all the way up until just even this morning. Uh, with how I teach it. So we're, we're in the middle of this sermon series that we're calling Short Stories by Jesus, where we're looking at some of the different parables that he told. And we're using a book called Short Stories by Jesus that's written by an Orthodox Jewish scholar. So it's a Jewish woman named Amy Jo Levine, who is a scholar of the New Testament and of Jesus. Right? So she's looking at it as a Jewish woman, not as a Christian. Um, which I think is really helpful and maybe really fitting that we're in this space this morning. So in case you don't know, this is a, a space that is shared by both the Reformed Jewish Temple here in town, by Temple Beth Edmund, as well as with St. Clair's Episcopal, and on occasion, us as well. And in our own Christian tradition, there's quite a lot of anti-Semitism that has really crept into some of the ways that we've talked about Jesus and about some of Jesus' parables. And so that's one of the reasons that we're, we're going through these short stories, reading them um, through the lens of a Jewish woman's eyes to help us maybe sort through some of those biases. And I am just as guilty of that as anyone because I have grown up with some of those um, myself. So I love that we're in this space where we can do that. Um, I think before we dig in, this is completely obvious. I'm just going to come up and give me a little bit of grace here. The story that we're going to be talking about is the Pharisee, the tax collector. And I'll tell it here in a few if you're not familiar with it. But the story's really been messing with me because there's not really any clear... Am I, am I messing up the video? No, you're totally fine. Okay. There's not really any clear answer or like moral of the story in it. And I was trying to think of places in my life, oh my gosh, there's so many places. Um, but one of the examples that came to my mind where I just felt like this ambiguous group of feelings in me was that last February, Rachel and I went to this meal um, at Grange. Do you guys know what Grange is downtown Ann Arbor? They, they focus a lot on the meat. And I was just like a year off of being a vegetarian for five years, right? So we signed up because a couple of our friends said, oh, you've got to come to this dinner. It's an awful dinner. Not awful like A-W-F-U-L, but awful like O-F-F-A-L. So awful being like the innards or, you know, the different parts of the animals that we don't normally eat here in the U.S. So the part of the brain, the penis, the kidney, the intestines, the stomach, all of those different things. And so we're paying a pretty good price to go to this meal. And it was interesting, as we were there, I found myself in this place of feeling like kind of judgy of all the people who had paid this money to be there. <laughs> I know, right? And I mean, some of it's because I feel like I've traveled a lot, I've lived in other places, and you know, there's a lot of parts of the world that eat many of the parts of the animal that we don't, and they make it really deliciously. Like, I've got a really good ghost stomach. And I, I'm not kidding, like really good, like they chopped up with some intestines and kidney, and you're like, man, this is it's really delicious. And this almost felt like a mockery of that. You know, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're paying like $150 for a 10-course meal or something that's not even like elevating this stuff and making it artistic. It's kind of, it just felt like they were highlighting the grossness of it. And so I had all these conflicted feelings in myself. 
like, I'm, I'm clearly one of the people doing it. <laughs> and yet it's even judgmental of people doing it. And also it brings, it like kind of surfaces all those conflicting feelings we have about like the system of food in America. It's like I don't want to get into like how tormented I can be on that. You know, as a vegetarian and you're thinking, oh, like, like we should use all parts of the animal and blah, blah, blah. There's all these unjust systems and then you're sitting in this ball of like, kind of what Jesus' parable feels like to me a little bit. And I was thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, parents probably feel this all the time. Like, where you're like trying to raise your kids. Like, one of my sisters is like, gosh, all my eight-year-old's friends have, have smartphones, but I don't know if I want my kid to have a smartphone, but yet if she doesn't, then she's like, you know, like, there's these systems that are bigger than us that we're trying to navigate, and there's not really any clear answer. And to me, that's, that's, what, that's what the Pharisee and the tax collector is. So let me now go to this story, leaving the feeling of that, that really great feeling that we all feel. <laughs> and so Jesus was just hanging out with his disciples, right? So his followers. And he's telling them this story. And it says this. It says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and who regarded others with contempt. Right? So he's just talking to regular people who are following him, like, up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, who's like a religious teacher, and the other was a tax collector. So the Pharisee, standing over by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Thank you that I'm not a thief or a rogue or an adulterer. Thank you that I'm not even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, who was also standing far off, wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he was beating his breast and he was saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, this man, the tax collector, went to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Right, so typically when I've heard this story, it's like, don't be like the judgmental Pharisee. Right? Be like the righteous tax collector. Don't be self-righteous. But no one understands full well your guilt in this world and know your need for God, right? That's like the clear, concise answer to that. Okay, Jesus, next story. But Amy Jill Levine, she points out that the parables of Jesus are more complex than that. And if we actually reach this point where we feel like there's a very clear, the moral of the story is, then we probably need to step back and just put on the brakes and examine some of our assumptions about the story. So I thought, well, maybe it'd be interesting to tell this parable by updating it a little bit. So I'm going to use a current event that's just kind of low-hanging fruit. So let's say two people went into a sanctuary on a Sunday morning. One was a progressive Christian who stands for justice and who advocates for immigrants and for other vulnerable people. And the other person who came in is an immigration and customs enforcement officer, an ICE detention camp uh, guard. And the progressive Christian, standing by themselves, was praying like this, God, thank you that I'm not like other people. Thank you that I'm not like the racists and the judges and the fear mongers. That I'm not like that ice guard that's standing over there. Like, I'm actively working for justice, and I'm trying to love and include everyone, and I give a tenth of my money away. But the ice guard, who's standing far off, wouldn't even look up to heaven, but was beating their breasts and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went to their home justified, Rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now that feeling is a little 
more uncomfortable, isn't it? Notice for me. And I think this is a little bit closer to what Jesus was doing to his audience. So as soon as the words come out of our mouth, I sure am glad I'm not like that Pharisee. Glad I'm not self-righteous. Or I sure hope that ICE detention camp guard is really sincere in their prayers and they went away changed and refusing to mistreat vulnerable people. I think that's when this parable calls us out too. So when I hear the story the way Jesus told it, I identify with the tax collector. I don't know about you, but that's where, that's where my sympathies goes. Like, at least I'm not like the Pharisee over there. But then when I hear the story told the way I just told it, with like the progressive Christian and the ice agent, I identify with the progressive Christian, which is the figure that Jesus' audience most likely would have identified with. And I think it's actually meant to throw us off a little. It's meant to help us say, who am I in this story? And I think because of the way Luke recorded it, most often we do identify with an expert. I mean, Luke is kind of getting our sympathies to go that way. And he's saying, look, that guy went home justified. And if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted, right? So I think Luke wants us to feel like we should be more like that tax collector. And so we put ourselves in that place. I know I'm like, yeah, I want to be the person that's seen as humble and falling on the grace of God and going away feeling okay with God. But then, this is where I think the Pharisees sometimes get a bad rap. If the Pharisees get a bad rap in the Christian tradition. So if you've been around Christianity very much in your life, then you know that Christians almost always presume that the Pharisees are like the bad guys in the story. Right? And I think this is where the anti-Semitism has sort of crept into some of our interpretations. We like to hold up the Pharisee as like that bad guy against either the Jesus follower who's the good guy or the repentant sinner. But the Pharisaic tradition eventually evolved into the rabbinic tradition, which is the heritage of modern Judaism. So when Jewish people hear us tell these stories like that, with Pharisees presented as these sort of two-dimensional bad guys, what they hear from us is, don't be like the, the rule-following uh, Jewish people, but be like the grace-filled Christians. And I think that's not only uncharitable on our part, but it's also just not that simple. And like I said, I feel like I'm just as guilty of this as the next year. I've certainly like read and interpreted parables and teachings like this, even when I have preached. And so this is a journey that I'm on learning, and I'm hoping to help you know, maybe some of us who would like to go on this journey to learn as well. And I think aside from the obvious point that Jesus himself was actually Jewish, right? He wasn't a Christian. He was actually in line with a lot of Pharisaic in line with a lot of the things that various streams of the rabbis were teaching. So just like our time, many Jewish teachers of Jesus' time, they disagreed about major um, interpretations. They argued over the interpretations of scripture and how those should be applied. Right? So there was no like one Pharisaic teaching. And Jesus had like his own He had his own interpretation. And sometimes he had his own critique. And sometimes he would quite strongly critique aspects of his own tradition that he felt were unjust, just as I sometimes quite strongly critique some of our shared Christian tradition. You know, but Jesus was very firmly rooted in Judaism, and a good many of his followers were Pharisees. Like we're told in the book of Acts that among many of the believers, the early Christian believers in Jerusalem, were people from the party of the Pharisees. Right, so the Pharisee in the story isn't necessarily the person in the wrong. Like, that's not a given. And it's certainly not the way that Jesus' audience would have viewed this. So in this 
particular story, I think the negative view of the Pharisee seems to come more from Luke's commentary. And actually, I would push that further and say it seems to come even more with how we've interpreted Luke's commentary, which we'll look at here in just a second. Right, but there's a couple of things that this Pharisee and this tax collector have in common. First, both of them have gone up to the temple to pray. Right? So they're both entering into the presence of the community of God and the presence of God in a position of coming in a posture of prayer. And both of them would have met the communal expectations for being in that space. Something else that's interesting, I mean, this is just a few sentences long, this little story that Jesus told. But he said that it's interesting that the Pharisee and the tax collector are both distant from other people in the story. That's an interesting little tidbit, isn't it? We're told that the Pharisee was standing off by himself and the tax collector was standing far off. So it's like they both are finding themselves isolated in this scene rather than being connected to other people. In the temple space, it would have had a lot of people coming and going and milling around. And nowhere in the parable does it say that other people like distance themselves from the Pharisee and the tax collector. Nowhere does it say that they told them to go away. But this seems to be where these people position themselves. And we're never told why. So the Pharisee's prayer, I think, is actually often interpreted as judgmental. But it actually begins with thanksgiving. And so, God, I thank you. And I think it's probably meant to be a genuine prayer, even if it kind of lands on that slippery slope of feeling a little bit superior. But he's doing what he's supposed to do, right? He's being a good Pharisee, even if he's exaggerated in the story. He's like, look, I'm going above and beyond. I'm praying, and I'm fasting, and I'm hiding. And I wonder, how different is his prayer from when we pray things like this? Thank you, God, that you've given me eyes to see what's really going on in our country with things like immigration and the border wall and yeah immigrate we need immigration policy but we can see like some of the xenophobia and the fear that's driving some of the cultural um, things going on right now thank you for helping me not be a racist thank you for teaching me to grow in that way thank you that i've got money to donate to help others thank you that i'm not caught up in a system that would force me to carry out policies right like all of these things thank you but from the grace of God go I. And I just wonder how different is that Pharisee's stance in prayer from our own sometimes exaggerated view of ourselves. But then on the other hand, the tax collector's prayer is a prayer for mercy. Right? His very vocation as a tax collector for the Roman Empire puts him in a place where he is harming his people, probably daily. And he's harming his own people, probably daily. And I wonder if him placing himself far off from others indicates that deep awareness that he has of his daily sin. And I wonder if he knows that he's trapped in a corrupt system, a system that possibly enables him to take care of and feed his family. Right? A system that possibly requires him to sell out his own people on a regular basis. And I wonder how different is his prayer from our own around the places where we feel complicit in systems that injure or deprive others in some way. When I was thinking about this this morning, I was like, you know, I remember when I was first out of college and I took my first job, I was single. I didn't have another person's income, you know, to lean back on if I wanted to switch jobs. The job market wasn't great. I didn't feel good about what I was doing. I won't say what it was, but working a, a corporate job that I felt like required me to lie. And I sometimes had this, like, 
It's why I eventually left, but for about three years I had this sort of internal conflict. Can I have to eat? And can I have a little bit of sympathy for this tax collector who maybe found himself in that same space? And how different is it than when we think or pray, Lord, I know there's like unjust things in this world, there's like unjust labor practices around the world, and that many of us buy goods uh, and consume things that are done on the backs of people that are being treated poorly because of my money, but it's so complicated and I don't know how to navigate. God, please forgive me. I need your grace and your mercy. Right? We can find ourselves there. And commentators have often affirmed the interpretation where the tax collector is seen in the positive light and where the Pharisee is seen in the negative light. You know, Luke writes, it says, you know, um, says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went home justified rather than the other. Right? That's an interesting, rather than, as if Luke is telling us that the tax collector is okay in God's eyes while the Pharisee isn't. Right? The tax collector is justified rather than the Pharisee. But this is where I think Amy Jill Levine, our Jewish scholar, can help us. She said, you know, that word there that's translated as rather than, it's the word para in Greek. She says it really has two different meanings. It can mean rather than, or it can mean because of, or alongside. So she says, maybe this parable might more accurately read, the tax collector went to his home justified alongside the Pharisee, or because of the Pharisee. Now, if that doesn't bring up a million questions, I don't know what does. <laughs> and she says, you know, this makes more sense historically because Judaism is such a community movement. It's a movement that's based in covenant relationship in which every member of the community is responsible for the other. So you're not looking at people individually, but you're looking at the communal whole. So she says from her Jewish viewpoint that maybe some of the faithful religious disciplines of the Pharisee are actually helping to carry along the tax collector. Right? In the sense that he's part of the community, even when his vocation included sins against the other members of that community. So in other words, she said that maybe some of the good that is done by one person or by various members of the community actually has an impact on others in the community in the same way that the sins of one can also negatively impact an entire community. So when we introduce this parable to a choice between just the actions of these two characters, right, that one is more right or more wrong, that one is more justified or less deserving of God's mercy, I think this is exactly where Jesus wants us to be. I think he wants us in that uncomfortable space because I think it's meant to reveal that the reality is that the Pharisee and the tax collector are actually alive in all of us, that we are both. But we're the Pharisee. We're doing the best that we can to do the things that we know that we're called to do in the world and recognizing that sometimes that spills out of us in messy and sometimes even judgmental ways. And we're also the tax collector. that We get caught up in unjust systems that benefit us in one way or another, some of us more than others. And that we sin in ways that hurt our brothers and our sisters far and wide, while at the same time, we're grieving and beating our chests because even through our best efforts, we can't seem to quite pull ourselves out of those systems. Right? The 
these are alive and well in each of us when we're engaging with family members or friends who maybe differ from us, um, religious or political views, and then we start to feel a deep contempt for them. Right? It's not the differing views, but it's that feeling of feeling a little contempt or looking down on. It's alive in us when we become isolated and we start to stand far off and distance ourselves from our communities. And it's alive in us when we become paralyzed in our own ways of thinking. And it's alive in us when we think that anything that we do or don't do has the capacity to separate us from the love and the mercy of God. Now, I don't think this lets us off the hook. I might just, I might just trash the end of this. <laughs> this might be messy. I, I, I went so back and forth. There was this piece of me that's like, that makes sense on a lot of levels that are maybe, where there's maybe less on the line. But I started to think, I was like, you know, like with that tax collector, like I've been a victim of an unjust system. I've been fired for being gay. I was humiliated in public. I mean, you know, it was kind of awful, and I'm fine now, but it wasn't okay. And if I see somebody who I know can see what they're doing, they're like, oh, I'm so sympathetic, but they're not willing to actually give up their privilege or their money. I, I, I kind of have nothing for it. And so there's this piece of me that's like, is that what Jesus is saying? And I think, you know, like when I dug into it a little bit deeper, I thought, no, because I think the overall picture of Jesus is that Jesus isn't just about changing our hearts and our minds. I think Jesus is actually about reimagining entire unjust systems. I think that's true. But I also think that there's a difference between feeling anger, which can be a healthy emotion, which can be a healthy way of helping uh, people understand the harm that's done, and feeling contempt. And I think that's actually the really hard call of this parable. Because for many of the people who have been listening to it, that tax collector, would, I mean, that would have been really hard to stomach. Kind of like me stomaching a, a, a sympathetic but unwilling to lay down privilege person. And I think it's okay to be angry at that, but I do think that that heart is the heart of contempt that we have to be willing to lay down and to say that I'm not the judge. And that it's not up to me to make a decision whether that person is welcome in the larger community of faith. I have to relinquish that to God. And yet in the same way, So, I mean, I wrestled, like, I had that headache on Friday, and maybe it was fortuitous in some way. So I couldn't quite finish the sermon the way I wanted it. And all day yesterday and this morning, I just kind of kept going back and forth in my mind. And like, oh, if I say this about the tax collector, man, what does that say to our minority groups? What does that say to people of color? Like, I don't want to just make it like, oh, everybody just holds hands and we're all fine. I think it's actually a call to come more into community because the Pharisees standing alone and the tax collector standing alone, and actually, if they were engaged a little bit more in their community, they're in a place where they could be called out. Right? Rather than standing by themselves. But Jesus doesn't give us any resolution. And so I think, I might be wrong, but Amy Jill Levine wouldn't say, you know, it actually invites us to continue wrestling. So, like, if you walk away, like, I don't, I don't know. Then that's maybe actually the point of it, which is really hard to preach. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a meditation. 
often take a couple of minutes either of silence or a little bit of guided meditation. And I think we'll do a couple things this morning, but I do want to spend the first minute of silence to just uh, picture some places where maybe we've been holding contempt for others. And it's just like imagine those helpless and the ceiling. Like communally. Imagine offering our contempt and relinquishing it up to God together. Does that make sense? Just kind of picture places where maybe you've got, maybe it's with a, you know, maybe it's within a relationship or maybe larger systemic injustice. Wherever it is you feel like you're holding some contempt, let's spend a minute and just sort of relinquish that to God. do our meditations picturing it as a community. But this morning I'd like for us to now that we've relinquished some of our contempt let's just imagine God, however you imagine God or love sort of like picking us up in an embrace, a collective embrace. And this feeling of knowing that you're not isolated or alone, but that you're part of something. Invite if you're open, like if the Holy Spirit would like to say something to you, we'll just make room for that now.
morning when I was just thinking about this meditation, just a little thought came to my mind, and it's from Romans uh, 8. And it was just, there's a verse that talks about how there's nothing that can keep us from the love of God. And I felt like there might be a person or two for whom that might be important to hear this morning. That there's nothing that you can do, there's no place you can be, there's nothing about you that can keep you from the love of God and from the family of God. 